Okay, okay, that's good. Hold on, hold on. Ow! Felix? Felix? Do you just need to reschedule? No, no. Everything's perfect. Everything's great. Yeah. Church face. <laughs> Hey everybody, hey, welcome out today. Hey, let's give it up for all of our campuses who are joining us. Hey, Midtown, Hamilton Mill, online, what is up, everybody? Um, hey, my, my dad's beard was always rough, even after he first shaved. And I know that because he was always kissing me on the forehead. And it's, it's a memory of a younger me, little me, big dad. And, and whenever he was putting me down to bed, whenever he was picking me up from school, whenever um, he would come home from work, he would lean down, he would grab my cheeks, and he would just lay one on my forehead with his five o'clock stubble, and it would rub on my head. And I, I just have this vivid memory of that. And I did what every single other kid does. Ah, dad, stop it, stop it, right? And like, but what I was really saying was, thanks, Dad. And he would look me in the eyes, and he would say, I love you, John. And he's the only person on the planet who calls me John, so you don't have permission to do that. Sorry. <laughs> um, but my dad probably kissed me thousands of times on the forehead and told me 10,000 times that he loved me over the course of my life. I... Uh, I grew up hearing the story that my parents had decided to have three children. And so uh, my older sister was born, then my older brother, and then my mom got pregnant again with my older brother, Joshua, um, who was full-term stillborn, nine months full-term stillborn, and he would have been baby number three. And the doctors came around my mom and said, hey, because of your age and because of all these other, other factors, hey, we can't advise you strongly enough, you shouldn't get pregnant again because your odds of miscarrying again are through the roof of if, if you get pregnant again. But um, they prayed about it, they proceeded, and they did what no kid wants to think about, they procreated, and <laughs> nine months later, little baby Johnson arrives on the scene. And I grew up my whole life hearing you are wanted, you are loved, you are here for such a time as this, you are alive for a reason, you are destined by God to be alive. And Johnson is derived from John, the name John, which means God is gracious. And so I grew up my whole life hearing, Johnson, you are a reminder that our God is gracious. See, I grew up knowing that I was wanted and that I was loved. And in 2004, when Summer and I were praying um, and getting frustrated that we weren't having kids, um, God spoke and he said, their names will be Jeremiah and Isaac. And we celebrated and we prayed and we proceeded and we procreated, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and nine months later, little baby Jeremiah um, comes along and maybe it's a shared parent uh, or dad experience maybe. Um, I remember very vividly uh, Summer lying in the hospital bed and I'm holding Jeremiah for the very first time and all of a sudden all these emotions unlock 
on the inside of me. Like they, they weren't there like 60 seconds before, but now they're here and I remember holding him in my arms and immediately I'm thinking, I would jump in front of a bus for this kid. Right, like I would give my life for his in an instant. I will spend the rest of my life um, um, praying for him and providing for him and loving him and pointing him back to the Father. I, I, I and, and then you know, just a little while later, Isaac was born, and all those emotions came back. And Isaac is twelve, and Jeremiah just turned sixteen this last week. Big deal. And and I've kissed them thousands of times, and I've told them I love them ten thousand times. And they've grown up hearing the story probably a hundred times of how God gave us their names. And they, they, they've been overwhelmed with the reality that they're not an accident. They weren't an oops. They're here for a reason that my kids have grown up knowing that they are wanted and they're loved. And if you go back to the Garden of Eden, Come on, look at these intentional verbs that you find here. Genesis 2 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And the man then said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. And then we get the verse at the center of every single marriage ceremony. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Every single step God takes here is bathed in intentionality. Nothing's on accident. Come on, God creates a home for humanity. He carves Adam out of the dust. He breathes the breath of life inside him. That Adam is made with dignity and honor. He's given unique gifts and talents and abilities. And then God custom makes Eve. Come on, this is what we always say. God made Adam out of dirt, but he, he put a little bit more care into Eve. Come on, dudes. We all know we ugly. But God formed and fashioned Eve. And she has dignity and honor in her own way, gifted in her own way, that she's like Adam, but completely different than Adam. Come on, she's from Venus and Adam's from Mars, right? Like, and then God brings her to Adam. God, God brings these, these two alike but different people who are compatible, who, who are like the opposite ends of a magnet who attract, like they're different, but they attract to each other to be married. See, guys, this whole thing, there, there's no question in Adam and Eve's mind if this is an accident. This whole thing was planned. They know I'm alive because God made me. They know from the very beginning that they are wanted and they are loved. And then in the mystery of all mysteries, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And the word of God puts on flesh and Jesus comes down and he dwells among us. And the first thing that Jesus does when he comes on the scene is what? He gets baptized. Before he begins his ministry, he gets baptized. And listen, he's not baptized for the same reason that we're baptized. 
Like, come on, this, this, today's gonna be amazing. There's gonna be hundreds of people who get baptized today, okay? He's baptized for a different reason. We're baptized to, maybe you've never thought of it like this, we're baptized to publicly identify with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We, our getting baptized is in essence us leaving our old self in the tank so we can rise up to walk in newness of life. That's the whole idea. I'm living a new life in Jesus. But Jesus is baptized for a different reason than that. Jesus is baptized as in essence another link in the long chain of this is what God, life with God looks like examples that Jesus sets. And God the Father is watching the whole thing. Matthew 3, 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. Like a dove. Stop drawing. The Holy Spirit is not a dove. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Stop drawing those pictures. Like a dove. There was, there was a grace. The Holy Spirit descended. Like, there was a grace of the Holy Spirit falling upon him. And a voice from heaven that said this, listen, this is what God the Father spoke over God the Son. This is my Son, whom I love. Can you just see the divine pointing finger, the direction of heaven pointing at the Son? This is my Son, whom I love. With him, you better believe it, I am well pleased. Like how beautiful is that, right? Right, the, the Father blessing the Son. Listen, God the Father told Jesus, listen, that he was wanted and that he was loved. And this right here, it's the launch pad of Jesus' ministry. Right from here, immediately, Jesus goes out with the devil in, in the wilderness and is tempted. He comes back in, he begins preaching, teaching. He does miracles, signs, and wonders. He eventually goes to the cross as our substitute to become our sin, to pay the price that we have wronged against a holy God. But listen, he doesn't do any of it until he hears, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Why? because the affirmation of our identity unlocks our destiny. The affirmation of our identity unlocks our destiny. Listen, knowing that you are wanted and loved and that your father is proud of you is the fuel in the engine of emancipating greatness. This is the big idea, guys, that if we can get down in the core DNA level of who we are, that we are wanted, that we are loved, that we are approved of, that God is smiling over our life, then that's our launch pad to move boldly forward into the future that God has for us. Listen, you wanna talk about confidence and security and identity and boldness? It's knowing that if I fall, I'm still wanted and loved. It's knowing that, man, if I fail in the world's eyes, I'm still wanted and loved because here at the end of the day, I wasn't doing it for them anyways. I'm still wanted and loved. There's something deep down on the inside of me that's, that's, that's clicked now. Listen, this is why when my son Jeremiah, when he turned 13, we did kind of like a, like a Christian bar mitzvah for him. And we had um, the significant men in his life rally around him and bless him. And so I did it, um, Summer's dad did it, my dad did it, Pastor Dennis did it, the, some of the pastors involved in his life did it. And they all spoke specific things over him. Then I got up last, I grabbed his grimy little hair in my hands, and I looked him in the eyes and I said, Jeremiah, I love you, I'm proud of you, 
I'm glad you're my son. And today, you're a man. Because I didn't want him to live the rest of his life wondering. I didn't want him to live the rest of his, am I loved? Am I supposed to be here? Does my, is my dad proud of me? Am I really a man? Because listen, if you don't know that you're a man, you'll go out there and you'll find a way to try and prove it, right? See, because here's the reality, guys. Not all of us had that. Not all of us grew up with that, okay? In fact, you know, how, how many of us would give a million bucks to have our father in all purity grab us by the cheeks, look us in the eyes, and say, I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm so glad you're my child. And with this stubble, put one on your forehead. And that's enough to bring every single one of us to our knees. It's because we were made to receive it. You were made, you were supposed to get that. Listen, I know sin breaks everything, but you were made to receive that. And it matters whether or not you did. Listen, I know, I know everything that, that I have, I've received. I know that everything I do was given to me. I know, I know some of that was natural. I, I know everything that I do as a good dad borrows from a good dad, right? And, and I know this, that my role, listen, maybe, maybe men, maybe you've kind of struggled with this for the fathers out there. Um, I know that my role as a human father is to point back to the heavenly father. I know that my role as a human father is to be planted as a representative of the father and the family, that I would lead, that I would love, that I would protect, that I would provide, and that everything that I do would point my kids back to the one who's greater than I am. I know, listen, my role as a dad is to make it easy for my kids to see God as father. Listen, because when, when, we, when dads don't do that, it creates these hurdles. Because what happens is somebody like me stands up there and says, God is your father. And you're like, oh no, I don't want that. Because when we think about God as father, we think about our father. And it's broken. But listen, the role, that I, the reason why dads are supposed to be in the family is to be a representative of the father to their children so their children could then bridge the gap as they grow up to see God truly is their real father. That's what we're made for. So here's the idea. When I look at my sons and I say, I love you, I'm proud of you, what I'm really saying is God loves you and God's proud of you. But if we never get that on the inside of us, it's like something never clicks. And here's what happens, here's what happens, okay? Knowing you are wanted and loved by the Father is where you're meant to live from, but if it's not where you live from, it's where you'll live for. Does that make sense? What, what the, the love of the Father, being wanted, being loved by the Father, it's where you're meant to live from. But listen, if you don't receive that, you'll go get it. You'll go find it somewhere. If you don't have that kind, loving, authoritative um, affirmation from a father deep down on the inside of your life, you'll spend, many of us, we spend our whole lives trying to earn it. 
in other places. Listen, one of my friends um, who has spent decades counseling pastors, he, this is what he does. He says that uh, one of the most toxic places on earth is pastoral green rooms at big Christian conferences. Because what it is, it's full, these pastoral green rooms, they're full of men who are pastors who are still trying to earn their father's approval. Hey, uh, we had 30,000 on Easter. How many did you have? Ho, oh, only 20? Yeah, yeah, I remember those days. How many did you get saved? How many did you get baptized? What's your church budget? How many staff you got? Oh, how many, how many square foot you got in your buildings? Right? And everybody's trying to one-up everybody else. Listen, because they're trying to live for God's approval instead of living from God's approval. And what happens is they're not living from being wanted and loved. They're living for being wanted and loved. And in all of that competition, what's right behind it is this, this sinister little broken ideology that says, maybe if I just do a little bit better, my dad will finally love me. My dad might finally love me. And some of us today, listen, we may not be pastors of big churches, but we're really good at putting on a church face. Really, man, we can come in here, we can amen with, with the best of them. We know all, all the Christian words. We were just singing at the top of our lungs. We're gonna clap, we're gonna do everything. But right behind that, Right behind that, we are insecure, scared little kids who just want dad to kiss us on the head and tell us that we're wanted and loved. And if we don't get that, this place to live from, then we'll live our whole lives for it. And here's the deal, guys. Most of us try and find our identities in way too low of sources, way too low. Here's what it looks like, here's a few of the places. We're trying to squeeze wanted and loved out of possessions. Come on, right? Like if I just get enough stuff, right? You know, and it can't be name brand. Come on, ladies. It can't be a name brand, like, like a little generic purse. It's gotta have like the brand on it, right? Like I'm not gonna name them because some of you have them and the, you, you, know, you got impurity and everything, I understand that. But. And my life feels better when I have, what, maybe seven Amazon boxes outside the door? And what, what it is, there's this giant gaping hole of, of not being wanted and loved and we're just trying to throw stuff in it. Hopefully one day it'll fill up and we'll finally feel important. You know, another place that we try and squeeze wanted and loved out of is our accomplishments. Our accomplishments. You know, if I, if I get enough trophies, if I get enough accolades, if I get enough accreditations, come on somebody, if I get enough degrees, if I get some letters after my name, then maybe if other people acknowledge me, that'll finally fill the void that dad never acknowledged me. We also try and squeeze wanted and loved out of family. 
And this is probably one of the more toxic places because here's what happens. We kind of, we kind of have kids and it's kind of, if I can, I know I'm gonna make you mad when I say this. Us having kids sometimes is kind of like our middle finger to our dad and saying like, see dad, I didn't need you anyways. I can do this on my own. And we end up having a family to spite our dad, to prove that we can do it on our own. And it pollutes the whole thing. And probably the most prevalent one today is this. We try and squeeze wanted and loved out of sexuality. Maybe you're trying to squeeze wanted and loved out of sex itself, right? And it's this idea of like, if, if I can get somebody to touch me, it proves that I'm valuable. And we keep going back to that well again and again and again and again. Others of us, we go to porn again and again and again and again because we're just, we're trying to just say, man, could somebody possibly look at me like that? Could somebody possibly desire me like that? Because nobody's ever desired me like that. And maybe, maybe you're in here and you're, you're struggling with same-sex attraction. Maybe you're in here and you would, you would, you would be in the a place of what um, society would call gender dysphoria, where you would say, my gender, my emotional gender, um, is a mismatch with my biological sex. Gender dysphoria. Some of you would say, man, I'm not struggling with any of that. I'm, I would proudly say I'm part of LGBTQIA plus society, community. And here's the reality, guys. Maybe you never received healthy affirmation of your masculinity as a man. Maybe in, the, in this society, classic scenarios, you're over-mothered, under-fathered. And so we spend our whole lives trying to prove our masculinity. And one of the greatest ways I can prove, I can prove my masculinity is if I can conquer another man. Maybe you didn't have a dad who was truly present in your life. Come on, like, how many of you had a, don't raise your hand, but you had a dad who was there, but he wasn't really there, right? And now we've turned, and now we're spending our whole life just trying to get affection from a man. Could a man just possibly love me? If that's a, you're a male or you're a female, can I possibly just get a male to love me? Maybe you were abused at a young age, and something was awakened in you at that time. I know uh, the story of a woman who, uh, who when she was in the first grade, she told um, her school counselor she was a boy. She told the other students she was a boy. She told her teacher she was a boy. She told her parents that she was a boy. She told everybody that she was a boy, but what she didn't tell them was that when she was five years old in kindergarten, she was violently raped. And she had come to this conclusion that if I'm a boy, nobody will ever touch me like that again. And so she had come to this conclusion that I'm not a woman anymore. Now I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm gonna be a boy. I'm gonna be, so I start walking like that. I try and start talking like that. I try and start acting like that. But thank God she had a loving community around her who lovingly brought her back to center. And listen, and what was true with this, we don't know this because this isn't the story that's being told. What's true of 85 to 95% of children, preteens, adolescents, teenagers, 85 to 
was also true of her. That as she grew older, that those feelings corrected. Listen, this is not the story that's being told. Listen, I'm gonna say it again. 19 out of every 20 young people who are in gender dysphoria, that as they grow older, puberty corrects it. But we're not giving puberty a chance because we're doing it eight and 10 and 12 and 14. See, Dr. Mark Yarhouse says it like this. When it comes to gender dysphoria, puberty fixes what counseling cannot. Why? Because God made you. Listen, God designed our outside to align with our inside. 1 John 3, verse 2. Dear friend, I hope all is well with you and that you are as healthy in body as you are strong in spirit. Here's the idea. God wants our bodies and our souls to be in congruence, to be in agreement, to be in alignment. Listen, I have good news for you. God did not design you to perpetually live in conflict. God did not design you to live tormented by my emotions say one thing, but my body says a different thing. I know what I should do. I know what I should do. I, I should get what, what society would call a sex reassignment surgery. And listen, they finally did a study on this. Listen, please, bear with me. They finally did an, a, a study on this. And they revisited people who had had a sex reassignment surgery. In other words, I'm, I'm gonna change my outside to try and match how I feel on the inside. And they revisited them 10 to 15 years later in this span. And listen, before you discount it, these were not people who were in hostile environments. This is actually, this particular study was done in Sweden, which is probably the most affirming society on the face of the earth for how affirming that word has been hijacked. But they revisited people who had had a sex reassignment surgery 10 to 15 years earlier, and here's what they found. They found that these human beings had a 20 times more likely reality of committing suicide than their peers did. And that should break your heart. I know there's an agenda. I know, I know people are screaming on TV. Listen, there are human beings who are committing suicide because they have this thought, well, my, my, I feel this way, but I look this way, so I need to change this. Then they change this, and yeah, year one, month one, and year two, and year three, then five years, 10 years, and what they realize is that didn't fix me, and I still feel broken. And nobody's talking about this. They're saying, no, no, just give them the puberty blockers. No, no, just give the girls the testosterone. No, no, just take out the insides. No, 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 just make the body. But what they're not talking about is that doesn't fix anything. Listen to me. Gender dysphoria is not a biology issue. It's an identity issue. You can try to change the outside, but the inside is still crying out, am I wanted? Am I loved? Am I alive for a reason? Does anybody want me? Does, is anybody ever gonna smile about my life? Who am I? And listen, a surgery cannot answer those questions. It's deeper than that. And to hear 
the testimony, the story of a woman who was raped when she was five. Now with tears in her eyes, now that she's in her 50s, be able to share and be able to say, if I had grown up in the day when the counselor couldn't bring me back to center, like many counselors can't today. If I had grown up in a time when I was given puberty blockers and testosterone and surgeries to take out my insides, then she said this, literally, this is her story. She said, I would have never been able to have children of my own. I would have never been able to nurse them at my breasts. And I never would have been able to watch them grow up. And in her words, she said, all of that would have been stolen from me. Listen, if you're in the LGBTQIA plus community, I know you've got your own story. I'm not putting these stories on you, but here's what I am saying. That the number one question of our generation is this, who gets to define me? Who gets to define me? Because whoever or whatever defines us is our God. Let me say it again. Whoever or whatever defines us is our God. Whoever we give the keys to the authority to define us, we've just put on the throne of our lives. So whatever we allow to define us, listen, this idea that, that we get to define ourselves primarily by our sexuality, listen, this is a very Freudian sort of thing where sexuality is king. And I'm just here to tell you this, you are more than your desires. You are, you are greater than your desires. Because here's the problem. When society says you, the purpose of your life is to fulfill your inner reality, that puts you in such a state of fragility. This is why everybody's so angry. This is why everybody's so triggered. This is why you can't post anything because everybody freaks out, right? Because when, you, when society says your feelings are king, which therefore your feelings are your God, when anybody says, hey, the way you're living is not right, you haven't attacked my, my feelings. You've attacked my God. And listen, if I am not how I feel, then who am I? Who am I gonna replace my feelings with on the throne of my life? Well, I've got an answer for you. <laughs> but I'm here first off to tell you that you are more than your desires. And what I'm saying for all of us, listen, all of us, whether we tried to get wanted and loved, whether we tried to squeeze wanted and loved out of possessions or accolades or family <laughs> or feelings, it's all too low. It's all too fragile. Listen, why? Because if I try and squeeze wanted and loved out of my possessions, that's gone in one fire. And then who am I? If I try and squeeze wanted and loved out of what other people say about me, that's gone in one tweet. It's all gone. If I try and squeeze wanted and loved out of how I feel, man, I'm gonna be on a roller coaster every single day. You didn't call me this and you didn't call me that and you didn't affirm this, right? Because how I feel changes every single day. It's like on this roller coaster that you just can't get off of. But listen to me, if I plant my flag of I am wanted and I am loved squarely in the reality of what God says about me, then I will be unmovable and I will be unshakable and that reality will become where I live from instead of where I live for, trying to get it everywhere else. You understand that when God says you're wanted and when God says you're loved, that becomes the backbone of your life and it frees me to live life. Now I don't have to go around everywhere trying to get love and affirmation from everybody else. Now I'm free to be who God called me to be. 
<laughs> and what does God the Father say about me? God the Father says I am wanted and I am loved. Man, can you, come on Midtown, come on Hamilton Mill, come on. Can we say this from the deep, can you believe this? Come on, can we say this together? I am wanted and I am loved. Come on, can you say that? Midtown, I can't hear you. I am wanted and I am loved. Hamilton Mill, I am wanted and I am loved. Come on guys, I am wanted and I am loved. Do you believe that? I am wanted, I am loved. And here's the beautiful thing. Christian identity is received, not achieved. And that frees me, man. I'm not trying to perform anymore. I'm not trying to earn it. I, listen, when I stumble and fall in sin, I don't have to try and get it back. I am wanted, I am loved, I received that. God spoke that over my life and it becomes the core foundational reality of who I am, that I am wanted and I am loved. I am wanted and I am loved. And listen, let, let, let me, maybe this will help you a little bit. Okay, any worldview that's worth its salt has to answer three questions. I might help you to understand the other side a little bit, depending on which side you're on, okay? Here's the three questions. Origin, predicament, solution. Origin, how did we get here? Why is everything so messed up? And how can we fix it? This is, this is, the, this is the component of a worldview, okay? There's more to it, but this is kind of like the, if you boil it all down. What's a worldview? If I could say it like this, an atheistic or a naturalistic worldview, essentially, and again, there's, there's more than this, but essentially says this, how did we get here? Okay, big bang, accident, cosmic, soup, whatever it is, right? And what happens is uh, evolution, survival of the fittest, millions of years, billions of years, right? Chemicals, and then it turned into sludge, which turned into a fish, which turned into a monkey, right? You know, which turned into a person, right, over time. So here, what, what, what got, what messed the whole thing up? Well, depending on where you're at, you may say chance. I mean, this whole thing's an accident, so just bad things happen, people are bad, some people are good, all that. If you live in today's America, most people would say the real problem is Christianity, right? I mean, you, you just go on any blog, you find, what's, what's the problem with America? Christianity. We, and so what's the solution? We gotta get rid of it. We gotta get rid of it. Listen, if everybody was just a good person, right? If everybody, listen, if, if, if politics just kind of got in order and everybody was a good person, right? Then we could fix this whole thing, right? And anything that smells like control, anything that smells like oppression, anything that smells like somebody telling me what to do, we gotta throw it off. We gotta throw it off because I gotta be the real me. Who are you to tell me how I can live my life? King David writes it here in Psalm two. He said, why are the nations so angry? Why is everybody angry all the time? Why do they waste their time with feudal plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And here is what they say. They say, let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. Listen, we're living in a world like David was. Listen, this isn't new. We're living in a world where people see God's way of life as chains. And they say, oh, we gotta throw off these chains that God's trying to put on us, and I gotta be the real man, realize my truth. And God looks at that, and he laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Why? Because God's seen it all. 
And God knows that there is a way that seems right to a man, but eventually it leads to death. Right? Because listen, God's been around a little bit longer than we have. I was talking to my sons about this this last week. Um, uh, We're talking about how there's this movement, especially among young people that are like, here in America, we need to get rid of capitalism and we need to adopt communism. Right? And I, I told my kids, and I'm like, hey guys, here's the good thing about having older people. Because there are older people who have seen communism, who've lived in it, who've lived in the reality of it, who've watched their whole families get taken off to the gulag and everybody gets murdered and only the real people at the top get anything. Everybody else lives in abject poverty and if you say anything, you're murdered. And that's why we need older people with us because life goes in circles and God looks down at our circles And he says, you really think you know what you're doing? Ha, he scoffs. And he says, today I set before you two choices, life and death, and I urge you to choose life. That's that's in a nutshell, a naturalistic viewpoint, worldview. Let me give you a Christian worldview. And again, there's more to it than this. But if if you're you're, um, not a Christian, let me help you to understand how Christians view the world. Here's the origin. How did we get here? We are the special creation of a holy God created male and female in his image. Psalm 139, verse 13. If you've ever wondered why Christians are against abortion, here it is. He said, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. He says, you saw me before I was born. Come on, somebody. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Here's what God says over you. You are not an accident. You are not a mistake. I don't know if you grew up with your parents telling you you're an oops. You're an oops, baby. You're an accident. We didn't plan for you. And so you spent your whole life being like, I'm not even supposed to be here. God says, you're supposed to be here. He oversaw your creation in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. That God smiles when he thinks about you. God rejoices over you with shouts of joy. You are here for such a time as this. You are supposed to be alive right now. Right now, no other time than right now. You are, you are made by God. You're not an accident. You're not, you're not cosmic radiation to a soup, to a fish, to a monkey, to a person. No, you are formed and fashioned by the God of all creation. You're on purpose. You're on purpose. So the predicament, why is everything so messed up? Well, it's also because of us. We're not all that great at the end of the day. <laughs> we mess everything up. We've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all, like sheep, have gone our own way. And so, therefore, the world is full of death and chaos and hatred and greed. And it's full, it's full of things like human love and all those sorts of things. But listen, there's, there's a reason why things are so messed up. It's because of sin. So what's the solution? How can we fix it? We fix it by reuniting and restoring humanity to God the Father through God the Son's finished work on the cross of Calvary. That's how we fix it. We take broken people and restore them to wholeness 
to a loving God. That's how we do it. Listen, it will never be accomplished by politics. The right guy or woman will never get on the throne or in the president's office. It's not gonna fix it. What fixes the world is Jesus. That's what fixes the world. And it's the truth that sets us free. And guys, here's the thing. Truth can be hard sometimes because sometimes truth requires change, but truth leads to freedom. And here's the truth, is that you are immeasurably loved by a fantastic, amazing creator God who loves you too much to sit by idly while you walk off a cliff because it's your truth. How terrible of a parent would I be if I saw my son driving his car toward the edge of a cliff and I'm like, hey son, you having fun? Yeah, dad, all right. <laughs> as long as it's your truth. No, I'm gonna be like, hey, hey, over here, listen, I love you enough to get in your face and say, what are you doing? There's a better way. I'm not saying you can't drive your car. I'm just saying, don't drive it off a cliff. Let me help you. Let me help you redirect you in the way of life. And that is what truth does. See, here's the invitation of a loving father. Acts 3.19, he says, repent. That word's been ruined in our society, but repent, which means turn. And then turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. How many of us could use some times of refreshing? Come on, come on Midtown, come on Hamilton Mill, come on online. How many of us could use times of refreshing? But listen, there are requirements for the refreshing. Here's how you get refreshed from the Lord, is I turn from my way and I turn to go his way through Jesus. And when I do that, my sins are erased. And right behind that, this refreshing of I am wanted and I am loved comes from God. And it gets deep down, it gets out of your head and it gets into the deepest place of your soul. And listen, this does not happen by sitting in a church service. It doesn't happen by saying you're a Christian. We got a lot of people saying that they're Christians when they're really not. This refreshing comes from the Lord, listen. It's almost like you've been out and you've, <laughs> you've been in a, in a dirt race and then you come back home and you take the best shower. Come on. <sighs> As your sins are washed away. And how do my sins get washed away? It's when I stop going my way, I repent, I turn to go God's way. And that's when the times of refreshing come from the Lord as I become a child of God. Galatians 3, 26. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, every single one of us is made in God's image, but we become God's children through faith in Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. What this is saying is this, is that when you're baptized, you leave your old life in the tank. You leave, the old, you leave the old clothing in the tank. Some of you are about to do this. You leave the old clothing in the tank. And it's like when you rise up, you put on Jesus' clothes. And you say, I know I'm gonna stumble. I know I'm gonna fall. But from here on out, I'm walking in Jesus' way of life. 
putting one foot in front of the other, knowing that I am wanted and knowing that I am loved. And he says this, there is therefore now no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. Why? Because all of our old identities are too small. Come on, you can put whatever your identity is, put it in there. It's no longer. Why? Because now we're one in Jesus Christ. We're a new community. We're a new family. If you've been looking for a family, this is the family. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Simply put, I don't know if you don't know the Bible. If you're a child of God, all the promises of the Bible belong to you. That's what it's saying. All the promises of God are now yours. That's what you inherit. That's what you get to step into. This is the God who's pursuing you. This is the God who loves you. This is the God who wants you. This is the God who planned for you. And stop pushing him away. And it, let me read this last one, okay? First Corinthians 6, 9. This is gonna start bad. This is gonna start bad, but listen, hang with me. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral. Uh-oh. Uh-oh nor the idolaters, uh-oh, nor adulterers, uh-oh, nor men who have sex with men, ah ha ha, I knew it, I knew that one, nor the thieves, wait a second, nor the greedy, whoa, nor the drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, not picking any sides here, they're all worthy of hell, and that is what some of you were but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Come on, you're a new creation. You're a new person in Christ Jesus. You've been washed the best shower on earth. You've been sanctified, which means now you're holy. You've been justified just as if I had never sinned. God is not ignoring your sins. God has forgotten your sins. And now you're a new person. This is what's possible in Jesus Christ. And I don't know where you're in. I don't know if you're in the gay community or in the transgender community or in the soccer mom community or in the workaholic businessman community or in the church face community. We all need to hear that you can be washed and you can be sanctified and you can be justified in the name of Jesus Christ, that you are wanted and you are loved at the deepest place of your soul. I'm gonna close with this. I heard a story one time about a man, a dad, a father, who his daughter ran away. And she had been gone for three years. And every day he woke up looking for her, asking other people to look for her, putting up signs, praying for her. Everywhere he's looking for her, looking for her, looking for her. And one day, one of the friends of the father, he goes out and he's driving his car and he stops and he sees the daughter on a street corner prostituting herself. And he rolls down the window and he says, Sarah? Yeah. Sarah Marshall? Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. oh man, you're in so much trouble. Oh man, your dad has been looking for you for years. He's been looking, oh man, I can't, I can't even imagine being a fly on the wall when you go home. It's gonna be crazy. It's gonna be, oh, you're in so much trouble. And he, okay, and he raises the window and drives away. And he goes back and he finds the dad. He's like, hey, I found your daughter. You, you found Sarah? 
When, where is she? Oh, don't worry about it. I told her, I told her you were so mad at her. And he pushes him away and he says, you are no friend of mine. Listen, family. Too often, that is what we've done with a hurting lost world. And our story has been solely about an angry father just waiting to beat the rebellious kid who comes home instead of telling the story about a Jesus who went to parties with sinners just so he could take them back to dad. And I dream that victory could be the church. Midtown, Hamilton, come on. Could we be the church who pulls up the car, opens up the door, and says, hey, it's time to go home. Let me take you back to dad. Yes, yes, there's gonna be conversations. Yes, things are gonna change. But I promise you, I promise you, it's gonna be so much better at home than it is out here. Let's go back and see dad. He's waiting for you. And listen, if you're here and you are not a child of God through faith, if you have not turned from your way to go God's way so that times of refreshing, wanted in love, may come from the Lord, then today, the car door is open for you. And it's time to go see dad. Let's bow our heads, let's pray. <sighs> Father, you are so good, you are so holy, and you are so loving. In fact, it's a love that is hard to put words to because it's a love that we don't really fully understand. But here's what I know. There are many among us who did not receive the loving affirmation of their earthly father. So sometimes it makes these conversations difficult. Here's what I'd say. God, make this be true in our hearts. Help our minds to understand this and believe it. But today God says, I love you and I want you, I'm proud of you. I'm a child whom I love and you I'm well pleased. Maybe today what we need to do, maybe our statement of faith could be something like this. God, I exchange my worldview for your worldview. My worldview is a little chaotic. It's up and down, it's based on emotions. I'm gonna embrace your worldview. I'm here for such a time as this. Sin has broken it, but Jesus restored it. And so some of you in here, you, 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 you came to faith in Christ and you've been living times of refreshing and <laughs> being wanted and loved. Others of us, we came to Christ, but there was this thing that never really clicked for us and we haven't really embraced, wanted, and loved others of us, we need to say yes to Jesus today. Wherever you're at, I'm gonna invite you across all the campuses to pray with me. And let's pray like this. Say, Jesus, today I repent. I turn from my way to go your way. You are the Son of God who died for my sins so I could be forgiven and I could be free. 
right now, I receive the forgiveness of my sins. I am holy and sanctified and justified and washed. I am a child of God, I am wanted, and I am loved by my good Father in heaven. In Jesus' name. God, right now I speak, I proclaim, I profess over your people that they are wanted and they are loved. God, right now, I thank you that you are smiling upon us. God, that you are shouting over us like a, like a dad at a sports game. You're, you're shouting over us with shouts of joy. You're rejoicing over us. And God, right now, I pray that you would give us ears to hear the voice of heaven who says this, you are my child, the one that I love. And you, I am well pleased. I'm proud of you. Now it's time to live from that for the rest of your life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Hey guys, here's what, I, here's what I'm gonna say. There, there's another step here, okay? You're gonna have opportunity in a few minutes to pray with somebody if you need that, but um, there's another step. If, you, if you're in this place where you need somebody to walk with you instead of denounce you, and you're afraid of that, maybe even in a setting like this across our campuses, we actually set up a text list for this weekend just for you. You can text LOVE to 203040. And here's the idea, maybe you're struggling with feeling wanted in love, maybe some of you, you're dealing with same-sex um, same attraction, maybe you're struggling with gender dysphoria, those sorts of things. We've created a safe environment with safe people who love Jesus, who love you, who wanna walk with you, who wanna know your story, okay? So you can text love to 20, 30, 40, 40 and we'll actually follow up with you. Um, you can remember that, you can go back and watch the stream later if you're too, too afraid to take your, your camera out right now and take a picture of it, but it's love to 20, 30, 40. And here's the last thing. In just a second, um, our, our bands across our campuses are about to lead us in one final worship song, but that's in preparation for the hundreds of people who are about to get water baptized, okay? <laughs> hundreds of people. We're so excited for you, okay? So let me say it like your mama said it, okay? Here's what we're not gonna do, okay? Here's what we're not gonna do. We're not gonna all run out to our cars and drive away as fast as we can. Here's what we are gonna do is we're gonna rally around those, these people who are part of our family who are getting baptized, and we're gonna celebrate them, we're gonna applaud them, we're gonna cheer them on, welcome them into the family. And here's, let me say this, if today, if you just gave your life to Jesus, there's no better time than the present, okay? You get an opportunity to lay down your life in that tank and then to rise up and put on new clothes and to walk out a clean person. Now listen, as you put one foot in front of the other and try and start walking Jesus' way, you might be like a little baby deer, you know what I'm saying? Right, you might stumble and fall, but listen, God would rather have that than not have you at all. And so continue putting one foot in front of the other. But baptism is your next step. Maybe you have not been baptized since giving your life to Jesus. Today is your day. We have clothes for you. You have no excuses. We, we've, we've taken away all the excuses. You can get baptized today. So here's the deal. We're actually gonna dismiss everybody who's getting baptized to go get ready while we're singing the final song. Then we're gonna come out there and we're gonna celebrate with you. And so I'm gonna go ahead and hand it back over to the campuses. So let's give it up for Midtown. Pastor Mo, come up. Pastor Chad at Hamilton Mill. Pastor Darius here at Norcross. And let's give it up for everybody who's about to get baptized. Come on. <laughs> 